Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our second week of online services here at Trinity Assembly. My name is David, and I serve as one of the pastors. Thank you so much for joining us. You know, I remember the first week that the news of the coronavirus outbreak really began to take off and escalate uh, in New York. Many of us were just desperately looking for good news, uh, for information, uh, just for any clarity as to where things are at. And during this week, um, uh, another announcement was made. Uh, Tom Brady announced that he was leaving the New England Patriots. And uh, for those of us that have considered their reign of terror terror to be a, uh, a horrible thing, it was just a little, little sliver of good news in a time uh, when things weren't going great. For those of you out there that are Patriots fans, I know it just felt like the world was piling on. You know, whatever misgivings I have about the Patriots and, the Tom, and Tom Brady, one of the things I recognize about him is not only his greatness as a quarterback, but he has this thing that you hear about in sports. It's, it's the word clutch. Some athletes are really talented, really gifted, but for some reason, they never come through in the big moments. And then other athletes, um, although maybe they're not the best at their sport or the best at their position, there's something about those big moments where they rise up and, and they're clutch. And we really learn things about people when they're in pressure situations and when they're really under pressure. And probably you're learning some things about yourself and your family and your friends right now as our, our world, our country, our, our state and our city have been under pressure. And maybe you've seen things in yourself, but in crisis and chaos and stress, things come out. And this morning, we're in our second week in our series, The Final Hours, where we're looking at the final hours of Jesus' life here on earth. In this story, in Matthew 26, we see Jesus under the greatest pressure of his life. The, the pressure of the cross is beginning to press in on him. His certainty and his awareness, the certainty and his awareness of that certainty is beginning to affect him. And in this text in Matthew chapter 26, where we see Jesus go into a garden to pray, we're going to learn three things about Jesus, just like we learn things about ourselves when we go through pressure and stress. And the first thing that we learn about Jesus here is we learn about the sorrow of Jesus the sorrow of Jesus. Matthew 26, verses 36 to 38 say this. Then Jesus went with them. He's with his disciples. Uh, they've just finished the Last Supper, which we talked about last Sunday. When Jesus, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. This was a, a garden or an olive grove. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, who were names were John and James, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. When you read the Gospels, it's evident that Jesus knew early on that he had come to die, that he had come to give his life for us. But what's interesting is that really up until this point, we haven't seen Jesus sweat, so to speak. We haven't seen him struggling and, and having a hard time with it. And at least we haven't seen it on, his, on the outside of Christ. The Greek verbs here suggest an anguish of wretchedness when he says that there is sorrow. It's not just a little bit of sadness. It's an intense sorrow, even to the point of death, even to the point of dying. He's feeling this sorrow. And in this scene, we see the sorrow of Jesus, so much sorrow in him, he isn't above it all. He doesn't just ignore it. He's not um, immune to it. He is, he is experiencing the sorrow. 
And when I look at Jesus here in Matthew 26 in the garden, I notice the way that Jesus enters into and embraces our humanity, the, the human experience, that he didn't stay from a distance, but he drew near and he, he, he embraced himself or wrapped himself in our human experience. There's four things I see here. One, he, he feels the weight of what's happening. He, he's not... Um, unaware. He feels the weight of what's happening. And just like us, we feel the weight often of what's happening in our lives and what's happening right now in our world. Secondly, Jesus has real emotions and he's honest about them and he doesn't bury them. And he's fully human here with the emotions that he's experiencing. The other thing I see here is that Jesus, in this time of crisis and chaos and uncertainty, he wants as much familiarity as he can. And so he goes to this place called Gethsemane, which we know was a place that he would go to regularly with his disciples, often to pray. This was not a new place to Jesus. This was not a strange place. This was a familiar place. And in the midst of his struggle, in the midst of his sorrow, he was looking for something familiar. But then the last thing that I notice here that reflects the way that Jesus understands what it's like to be human is that he doesn't want to be alone. He wants company. He brings his disciples with him, and then he brings three of the closest followers further with him, and he says to them, would you watch with me? Would you pray with me? He wants company. I think right now um, in our world, the things that we're facing, the things we're struggling with, these are all so relevant. Feeling the weight of what's happening. I think we all feel the weight of the struggle and the sorrow that's happening all over the world and happening in our own community. We have real emotions, and the way to respond is not to bury them. We'll talk in a moment about what Jesus did with those emotions, but certainly don't bury them. Don't ignore them. Find people that you can be honest with about your emotions. I know we all want familiarity, anything to make things feel normal. I know that's hard to find, but whatever you can do, uh, in whatever way that you can create normalcy in your home, for your family, for your children, we all, we all want that. And we also want company. And I know uh, introverts, the joke early on was that introverts have been preparing their whole lives for this moment. But I have to think that even introverts maybe right now could use a, a conversation, a friend, a handshake, and a hug. And people like me who are extroverts, we're just, we're just like going stir crazy in our homes struggling with this. But Jesus knows what all of this is like. He entered into it, and he entered into sorrow. In fact, in the Old Testament, uh, Isaiah 53, verses 3 to 4, the prophet says this about Jesus, that he'll be a man of sorrows, that he'll be acquainted with grief. Verse 4, he, he has borne our grief, and he carried our sorrows. Jesus has entered into our sorrows. And it helps me so much right now to know that he's not distant, that he doesn't... Um, that he's not lacking in understanding. He understands our sorrow. The weight you feel, Jesus has felt that weight, and he sympathizes with us in all of our weaknesses. So we see the sorrow of Jesus. Second thing we see in this story as we keep reading is the struggle, the struggle of Jesus. Let's keep reading verses 39 to 44. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you cannot watch with me, pray with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went and he prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again, the struggle of Jesus. You know, if, you've had, if you have kids, if you've had little children around you, 
You know there's those moments when they're struggling deciding whether or not to obey you. Maybe they're holding something in their hand that they shouldn't be holding. And from across the room you say to them, put that down. And they're standing there and they're staring at you and they look at you and they look at that thing in their hand and they're just in that moment. You can see on their eyes, on their face, the little wickedness in their hearts. You can see that they're deciding, is, am I going to have my will or, or, or am I going to submit myself to this person's will? And this is the struggle that Jesus is entering in right now. It's the struggle of will. And I, I want us to notice that Jesus is not questioning the ultimate purposes of the Father. He's asking questions about the way in which the purposes will be carried out. And one of the things that we can rest in in this season right now is that God's purposes are good. We may not understand the way in which they're happening, the way in which they're be, being carried out, but there's a difference between questioning the heart of the Father and the purposes of the Father and not understanding and admitting we don't understand the ways of the Father. He's not doubting the goodness of God. He's inquiring about his ways. And this whole struggle revolves around this word, the cup. He says, can you let this cup pass from me? In the Old Testament, the cup was symbolic of judgment and wrath. And for Jesus to drink of the cup, to drink of the judgment and wrath that was, should have been upon you and I, he was going to have to go to the cross and he was going to have to suffer Pastor author Timothy Keller uh, says this about this scene. He says, in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's as if God the Father said to Jesus, here is the cup of my wrath against sin. It's them or you. And Jesus said, let it be me. Now, I, I understand that this idea of an angry, wrathful God is very difficult for many people, especially if you grew up around angry, wrathful people or a father or a father figure. And I understand this, is, this is, can be hard to accept. Uh, but Keller goes on to say this, and I find this helpful, uh, answering this question, how can a God of love uh, be also a God filled with wrath and anger? And he says, I always start my response by pointing out that all loving people are sometimes filled with wrath, not just despite of, but because of their love. It's our love for individuals that may fill us with wrath at times when we see terrible things being done to them or them doing terrible things to themselves. It's our love. The flip side of the coin, if the flip side of the coin on one side is love, then the other side often is wrath against the things that are hurting the things that we love most. Uh, a lady named Becky Pippert in her book, Hope Has Its Reasons, says this. She says, think of how we feel when we see someone we love ravaged by unwise actions or relationships. Do we respond with benign tolerance or as we might towards strangers? Far from it. Anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is. And the final, final form of hate is indifference. God's wrath is not a cranky explosion, but his settled opposition to the cancer, which is eating out the insides of the human race that he loves with his whole being. And so the wrath of God should not bother us as much as the idea of the indifference of God. If God didn't care, if he didn't feel anything about our sin, about our sickness, about our condition, then that would be an indicator that he does not love us. But his wrath is not an indicator that he does not love. It actually is an indicator uh, that he does. Notice in this scene that Jesus, as he's struggling with the idea of drinking this cup of wrath for us in our place, 
he moves forward in his struggle. His second prayer is actually a step forward. It's not the exact same. Go back and look. The words of his first prayer and the words of his second prayer are a little different. In the second prayer, he's no longer wrestling with the possibility of the cup. He's now wrestling with the certainty of the cup, and he's praying, uh, surrendering himself. He even positions himself on his face in prayer, which speaks of humility and submission and dependency upon God. We all have this struggle from infants to adulthood. My will versus God will, God's will. We're convinced that we know best, but if you're honest, what has life shown you? If you look back at your life, have you always known what's best for you? Have you always understood the entirety of a situation? Do you always have the perspective and the wisdom that you wish in hindsight you had? The struggle that we wrestle with, our will against God's will is real, but our hope is not in us overcoming uh, this struggle on our own, but our hope is that Jesus overcame for us, and he did. Which brings us to our final thing that we learn about Jesus from this text. The sorrow of Jesus, the struggle of Jesus, but lastly, the strength of Jesus. In verses 45 and 46, it says, Then Jesus came to the disciples, this is after he's prayed, and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus knows what's coming now. And what I've noticed about these last two verses of our passage this morning is there's this startling change in the disposition of Jesus Christ. Jesus moves from torment and anguish to determination and clarity. He's not running. He's not scared. He doesn't seem to be anxious. He's fully aware and clear on what has to happen. He says, it's the hour. I'm about to be betrayed. My betrayer is coming right now. He's speaking of Judas. Where does that strength come from? Last time we saw him, he was in sorrow and he was struggling, and now we see strength. There's a book that a guy named Philip Yancey wrote called Prayer, and in it he points something out about this scene, that, this passage that we're studying. He says, where was it that Jesus sweat great drops of blood? Not in Pilate's hall, nor on his way to Golgotha. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane. There he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears, to the one who could save him from death. And then Yancey says this, if I had been there and witnessed that struggle, that moment that we're talking about, I would have worried about the future. If he is so broken up when all he is doing is praying, I might have said, what will he do when he faces a real crisis? Why can't he approach this ordeal with the calm confidence of his three sleeping friends? But when the real test came, Jesus walked to the cross with courage and it was his three friends who fell apart and fell away. See, Jesus' strength was in his surrender. Nancy goes on to say that the prayer does not prepare us for the battle, but prayer is the battle. The greatest battle that Jesus faced was in this moment of prayer in the garden where he surrendered to the Father's will, saying, I trust the Father's plan. And you and I, believe it or not, we will find the strength to trust God, and we will find the strength in our battle in the most unexpected, counterintuitive place. Not in holding on to things, but in letting things go. Not in trying harder, but in trusting deeper. Not our effort, but trusting in Christ's effort on our behalf and surrendering and submitting and finding our strength in him. Now in closing, why does this garden scene mean so much? What does it mean for us? 
we go all the way back to the beginning of Scripture in Genesis chapter 3, there's another scene in the garden. Adam and Eve in the garden, they choose to rebel against God. And in that moment, sin and sickness and death and all the things that plague our world enter in. And in Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul helps us understand how to connect this passage with that passage when he says, one Adam got us into this mess, but another Adam got us out. One Adam, Adam in Genesis, through his disobedience, got us into the curse, but Jesus, the greater Adam, the true and better Adam, through his obedience in the garden, he brings the blessing. The first Adam failed his test in the garden, but Jesus, the second Adam, in this text, he passes his test in the garden. And when you think about him, neither one of these Adams, so to speak, understood completely. The first Adam said, I don't understand why I can't eat the fruit of that tree. And because I can't understand, I will not trust you. I will not obey. And here's Jesus, the second Adam, wrestling in the garden saying, I don't fully understand. I don't understand, but I will obey because I trust in you. We see Jesus' sorrows. We see Jesus' struggle. And we see Jesus' strength. And my prayer for you this morning is that in your sorrow, you won't feel alone. You know that Jesus understands. He's, he's been there. He's able to sympathize and empathize with us in all of our weaknesses. You may feel like you're struggling right now. And in this scene, we see Jesus struggling so much. And he struggled in our place. And he won in our place. And it brings us to the strength that we can find in Jesus in trusting him and in placing our hope in him. This morning, I want you to know that there are people that are ready to call you and pray with you. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever your situation is, we have people that are ready to get on the phone, call you, and pray with you. All you need to do is email us at info at trinityagchurch.org, info at trinityagchurch.org with your name and your number, and as soon as possible, we'll have somebody pray with you. We don't want you to be alone in your sorrow, alone in your struggle. We believe that there's strength found when people pray together, and even though we can't can't be in the same space praying together. Even across the lines, through the phones, we believe that God will connect hearts together for prayer to strengthen you this morning. God bless you. Thank you so much for being a part of this service. We're continuing to trust God and see his purposes and plans come to pass in this season.